Mentioned over 800 times. That got your attention, didn't it? It's, a, it's from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22. Right in the very beginning, uh, Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 says, The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. Genesis, uh, Revelation chapter 22 says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. So it's all through the Bible. And there's a consistency in how the, how the Spirit is referred to in the Old Testament when they spoke Hebrew, the word that was translated spirit literally meant wind or breath. And when you get over into the New Testament, and they wrote that in Greek, the Greek word that's translated spirit means a wind or a current of air. One thing that is different is that in Old Testament times, the, the Spirit of God would come on people and then it would often depart. It would descend on people and then it would go away. And You may remember when David sinned against God with Bathsheba. He cried out, God, please don't take your spirit from me. But when we get to the New Testament, though, once Jesus has left and gone back to the Father and sent His Holy Spirit, He tells us that it is for all of us who are believers and that the Holy Spirit will never leave us, never forsake us. And so in the New Testament, we see the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus in the form of a dove. And very frequently, the dove is symbolic, is used to be symbolic of the Holy Spirit. We see the, the Holy Spirit falling on believers at Pentecost and uh, uh, with a sound like a rushing mighty wind and something that appeared to be fire. And so sometimes you'll see fire representative of the Spirit. And that Holy Spirit empowered them to do all kinds of miraculous things. In other places in the Scripture, we see the Holy Spirit equipping people with spiritual gifts to serve others. We see the Holy Spirit producing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Obviously, the Holy Spirit is kind of a big deal. And the truth is that God wants us to live a, a Spirit-filled, Spirit-empowered life. So we're starting a new series today. We're calling it Ghost Story as we take a deeper look at the Holy Ghost, also known as the Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to be as honest with you and as transparent as I can be. And I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, the Holy Spirit kind of weirded me out. Now, there's no other way to say it. I mean, I understood God the Father. That kind of made sense to me. I have a Father, so I could kind of relate to that. And, and God the Son, Jesus, I, I saw pictures of Him. Of course, He was always you know, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, but still, I saw pictures of Jesus, but I couldn't understand the Holy Spirit. I didn't know what that was about. And then further complicating things for me was the fact that, that any church that I knew of that was way into the Holy Spirit uh, was a little too strange for my tastes, right? The women all had this big, big hair, big, big, and, and there was a lot of denim. There were a lot of denim skirts that like went all the way to the floor, you know, and there were tambourines everywhere and, and people speaking some kind of stuff that I couldn't understand. So, so if they had the Holy Spirit, that seemed to me to be very unusual and just weird. And so the result was, for many years, I went in the complete opposite direction. I didn't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit. 
And that's one of the big problems for most church people when it comes to the Holy Spirit. We tend to camp out at one of two extremes. Now, again, just being honest, we have to admit that in some churches there is what can only be called an overemphasis on the Holy Spirit. I mean, everything is Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Move Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. And if something out of the ordinary happens, like maybe a Bible falls off a chair, uh, 15 people descend on it and start to pray, Ah, I bind you, demon of Bible falling. Holy Spirit, get them demons out of here. You didn't have to preach like that, did you? <laughs> Everything was just Holy Spirit, an overemphasis. I'm going to tell you that a far more common problem is an underemphasis on the Holy Spirit. See, in the church I grew up in, the Holy Spirit was, was a retired author. He'd written the Bible, and then he was done. He had nothing more to offer us, nothing more to, to say to us or to do for us. We understood God the Father, we thought. We could relate to God the Son, but, but the Holy Spirit, we didn't talk about him. He was, that, he was that strange cousin Eddie that nobody in the family ever talks about. The Holy Spirit was for those those weird folks over on that side of town, across those tracks. Not for us. But see, I just believe that there's got to be a balance. There's got to be some kind of balance between an overemphasis and an underemphasis. And that's what we're going to be looking for in the next few weeks. To get a biblical understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and what He does. We're going to start in John chapter 14. If you've got your Bible this morning, turn over to John 14. John's the fourth book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you get, uh, if you get into Acts or Romans, you're going a little bit too far. You need to go back to the left. We're going to look at some of Jesus' words today to try to, to build a foundation and my prayer is that over the course of the next few weeks that all of us, myself included, would grow to know God more, to know God better, to know Him more intimately through His Holy Spirit. So in John chapter 14, Jesus is, um, is comforting His disciples, His followers. Uh, we've, we've kind of touched on in and around these verses the last few weeks. In just a very few short hours, Jesus is going to, to go away. He's going to undergo a a horrible ordeal. He's going to be arrested and tried and then crucified, uh, executed by crucifixion. And in John 14, 15, and 16, he's trying to prepare his followers for that. And he's trying to, to tell them, he's trying to help them understand that uh, it's best thing for him to go away and go back to the Father. And, he, and, he, and that he's going to prepare a place for them in heaven. And then he says, I'm going to send someone to you. Look at verse 16. And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. Jesus says, God's going to send someone else, someone other, an other, to be your advocate. Some translations say helper. Your, your translation might say counselor. And Jesus says, and this time, he's not going to come and go. Not like he did in the Old Testament when he would rest on people for a while and then depart. He's going to be with you forever. And then in verse 17, he says, he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. Some translations say that He is the Spirit of truth. But look what Jesus says next. The world cannot receive Him because it isn't looking for Him and it doesn't recognize Him. 
that's kind of where I was. I, I wasn't really looking for him. I didn't recognize him. I mean, if somebody told me, oh, that's a move of the Spirit, or that's a work of the Spirit, and it didn't fit in my little box, I rejected that. I didn't know him. I couldn't see him, and therefore I didn't accept him. But Jesus goes on to say this, but you know him. That's what he says to his followers. Because he lives with you now and later will be in you. The Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Truth, the Counselor, Jesus says He's living here now with you. He was in Christ. The Holy Spirit, God's Spirit was in Christ. But Jesus said a time is coming when that same Spirit is going to live in you. And did you catch this? That that the Holy Spirit is not an it. Sometimes you hear people say, well, it was leading me to do something. No, no. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as Him. Because he's the third person of God in the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is literally God present with us in spirit form. The Bible tells us it's possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. That's a personal emotion, isn't it? The Bible tells us that the Spirit of God has emotions. The Bible says it's possible to lie to the Holy Spirit. Again, that's a personal thing, right? I can't lie to that chair. I can only lie to another person. The, the, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit loves us. And so it's a hymn. It's that third person along with Jesus and God that's part of the Trinity. And Jesus says the Holy Spirit is our advocate, our helper. He uses a word you may have heard before. It's kind of a church word. You're not going to hear it outside of church. But paraclete. Now, we use para in the sense that we use paralegal, or we talk about a, a para-church organization. That means alongside of. A paralegal works alongside of a lawyer. A para-church organization exists alongside the local church. And, and cleat or kletos means called. So the Holy Spirit is called to be alongside or called to be with us. He advocates for us with God. He intercedes for us. He prays for us to God. He's our comforter, our helper. God in spirit form is called alongside of us to be in us, to very literally be our day-to-day companion. Now, if I was to ask you, would you rather have the Spirit or Jesus in the flesh with you? Man, I bet most of us would say Jesus in the flesh. I mean, don't we get all sentimental about that? About, oh, I just wish I could have him here with I wish I could have walked along with him and, and been there when he was doing all of these mighty things. I mean, we just think that, that Jesus in the flesh is just the coolest thing ever. To have Jesus physically present with us. I mean, think about it. You get a headache, you're like, oh, Jesus, I have a headache. Poof, no headache. How, how cool would that be? Or your dog gets run over by a car and you're crying, oh Jesus, Fido is dead. And Jesus says, Fido, live. And whoop, he jumps up, barks, he's ready to run and play. You know, or, or maybe your cat gets run over by a car. Jesus can do the funeral right there, help you bury that cat. Isn't that awesome? Or how about this? i got to feed all of you lunch and all I've got is a bag of Cheetos and half of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And Jesus just looks at it and says a few words and boom. we got Cheetos and PBJ for everybody. 
We just think that Jesus in the flesh seems like the best thing ever. But Jesus himself said, there's actually something better for us than him in the flesh. It's in, it's in John chapter 16 and verse 7. And Jesus says this, In fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the Advocate won't come. If I don't, the Holy Spirit won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. The absolute best thing, Jesus says, is for me to leave because the Holy Spirit won't come unless I do. Now think about this. In Philippians, we're told that Jesus laid his divine rights and privileges aside and took on a fleshly human body. Folks, that was not a temporary condition. He took on that form for the rest of eternity. And here's the deal about Jesus in the flesh. Jesus in the flesh can only be in one place at one time. Right? So if Jesus in the flesh was here, I mean, obviously he'd be hanging out with me, right? That means he couldn't... What do you mean? That means he couldn't hang out with you. I mean, if you know, me and Jesus decided you know, to, to go to the scoop, you'd be out of luck. Do you understand what I'm saying? If Jesus was here ministering to all of us, he couldn't be present in other places because he'd be here with us. But his Holy Spirit is everywhere because it's in us. It's in believers. And everywhere we go, the Spirit goes. That's what Jesus is trying to say. That's why Jesus says, it's, it's better for me to go away because every single one of you is going to have the Spirit of God living inside of you. You're going to take that with you everywhere you go. He's going to be your advocate. He's going to be your helper. He's going to be your companion when I go away. Amazing. Amazing. So we're going to spend the next few weeks breaking that down a little bit and, and looking at, at the work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. But here's the simple thing that I want everybody to, to get. Make sure you get this if you don't get anything else. The Holy Spirit changes everything. It was the very first time in any religion, in any spiritual or faith experience that God had lived in here. He'd always been out there. He'd always been on a mountaintop somewhere or in a temple somewhere or in a, in a faraway place that you had to, to trek to. But Jesus says, we're changing up the game. Now the Holy Spirit is here. And the Holy Spirit changes everything. Or should. I mean, think about the church today. We, we see so many people they're believers in Jesus, but they don't look any different than anybody else. Or they don't act any different than anybody else. Or they, they don't seem to be any different from the rest of the world. I mean, they're still caught up in the same sins that everybody else is, is, is struggling with. Their prayer lives are, are flat or non-existent. They, 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 they're gripped by fear and worry and anxiety. We believe in Jesus, but for some reason, our lives lack any real power. Why is that? I think it's because there are too many people today who are living spiritless lives. When what God wants is for us to be spirit-filled, spirit-empowered, spirit-led, spirit-equipped. There are a lot of reasons why people are living spiritless lives, but I want to look at two 
One, we've, we've, the first one we've already kind of touched on, some people aren't aware of the Holy Spirit. I mean, you know, maybe some of you would say, well, I've kind of, I've heard of the Holy Spirit, but I don't really know what He does. You know, I don't know what to think about Him. I don't know what to expect of Him. I mean, I know there's a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but, but that's really kind of all I know. Well, there's a, an interesting story found in, in Acts chapter 19. At the very beginning of that chapter, in Acts 19, it says, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Now, you need to mark that word. They were believers. They were Christians. They're in Ephesus. Later on, Paul's going to write a letter to them that we call Ephesians. He finds believers and he asks them a question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And what do they say? No. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers in Jesus Christ? When you became followers of Christ? And they say, never heard of Him. So we know some things. We know they weren't present on the day of Pentecost, right? They would certainly be familiar with the Holy Spirit. In in fact, in just a verse or two, it's going to say that they had been baptized by John the Baptist. Folks, that's like us saying today that we were baptized by Billy Graham. So they knew John the Baptist. And they knew Jesus, but they didn't know the Holy Spirit. They didn't know anything about Him. And some of us might be in a similar place. I mean, we've heard about Him. They say we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. At least we've heard about it, but we couldn't say for sure we understand anything about Him. Here's the thing. There's this whole other world of power and experience with God that is available to all believers through the Holy Spirit. And a lot of us just don't know anything about it. My dad is a very warm and kind and generous human being. I want to make that clear. I mean, you should see him around his grandkids. Uh, Granddads in general are generous, aren't they? I mean, you ask dad for a pack of gum, you get a, or gum, you get a stick of gum. You ask granddad for a, a gum, you get the whole pack. It's just how it works. And my dad, again, is, is a, a generous, generous human being. Please know that. But when I was a kid, he was a tightwad. There's just no other way to say it. He was tight as the bark on a tree. He squeaked when he walked. He was so tight. (laughs) When we would travel, and we always went by car, okay? No matter where, no matter how far. If my family ever went, had had ever gone to Europe, my dad would have found a way to drive there. I think if we go up through Alaska, we can, you know, we can get across there. I mean, my dad would have found a way to get there by car. And we stayed in motels. M-O-tels, not hotels, motels. Motels like um, the Moonwinks and Wigwam Village and the Sleep Tight Motel. Every one of them just as nice as you would think they would be. (laughs) So I I associated staying in a motel with, with knotty pine paneled walls 
cheap furniture, threadbare towels, a little strip of paper that tried to assure us that that toilet had been sanitized for our protection. <laughs> Empty, cracked swimming pools. But when I was a senior in high school, the Key Club District Convention was in Birmingham, Alabama. And we got to stay at the Hilton. And it was so not a motel. <laughs> I mean... They had people who carried your bags for you up to your room. Of course, you had to, you know, tip them a quarter. <laughs> they, were, they were kind of moody, too. But all the room entrances were indoors. There were elevators. <laughs> you take an old small-town Alabama boy, put him on an elevator for the first time in his life. He, he thinks he's at Six Flags. Woo! The swimming pool was inside, and it had water in it, clean water. And in every room, there was this little cabinet with a refrigerator in it, and it was just full of all kinds of snacks and drinks, although we found out later that they were pretty expensive. That's what our key club sponsors explained to us when we got home. And, and not all of the beverages were exactly legal for teenagers to, to, to be drinking, but, but it was like another world opened up to me. I, so much different than what I had known. Folks, too many Christians are going through life without strength, without power, without victory. When on the other side, just on the other side, there is spiritual power from God that is greater than anything we could ever imagine. The Bible says this. Check it out. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It's the Holy Spirit that brought the dead body of Jesus back to life. And it's available to every one of us who are believers in Jesus. Every single one of us. He will fill us, direct us, comfort us, guide us, counsel us, empower us. All of that available to us. And too many people miss that. They miss it in their living spiritless lives because they're unaware of the Holy Spirit, unaware of His capabilities. And there's a second reason people live spiritless lives. Some people resist the Holy Spirit. We resist. And this catches a lot of us. Because I, I dare say all of us have felt like God was prompting us to do something, and we said, oh, no, no, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. Or maybe we were about to do something that wasn't right and the Spirit kind of nudged us, don't do that. That's the wrong thing to do. And we kind of, remember, we played Lord of the Ring. We kind of stamped our feet and said, oh, but I want to. I really, really want to. We've all done that. In both cases, that's kind of like pushing the Holy Spirit away. Or maybe the Spirit is, is prompting us to give something to somebody, something to bless somebody. And, and we push that away and go, no, no, this stuff is mine. I don't want to give it away. We need to be careful because it's possible to resist the Holy Spirit so much and for so long that we can become numb to it. We can become hardened. Our hearts can become hardened to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen the evangelist is chewing out the Sanhedrin. That was the religious leaders of his day. 
And, and, and he's just chewing them out. And this is right before they stone him to death for preaching about Jesus. And this is what he says in Acts chapter 7, verse 51. He says, you stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. So somebody might ask, Pastor, how do I know if it's the Holy Spirit prompting me? And and not just my own thoughts. That's a good question. And just let me tell you what I do, because I'm not any different than anybody else. You know, I'm basically a selfish person. So if I feel led or I feel prompted to do something that's going to benefit me, right, that's going to make me look good, that's going to make me feel good, then I just assume that thought is coming from me. And on the other hand, if I feel led or prompted to do something that's going to benefit someone else, uh, that's going to bring glory to God, then I just assume that's the Holy Spirit. Pretty simple process. If I'm being nudged away from doing something that I know is wrong, that's the Holy Spirit. If I feel led to to do something or give something that's going to be a blessing to others, that's the Holy Spirit. And guess what? If it's not the Holy Spirit, what's the worst thing that could happen? I did something good for somebody. I wasn't totally selfish for once. If it's a blessing to others, I just assume the Holy Spirit is leading me to do that. Well, somebody else will say, well, all right, Scott, I'm not sure that the Holy Spirit really prompts me or moves me or or speaks to me like that. Listen, it could be that you've resisted the Holy Spirit so long or for so often that your heart is hard. And that sounds really bad, but God can soften up a hard heart. The Holy Spirit can soften up a hard heart. Hey, when Stephen made that statement to the Sanhedrin. Guess who was standing there? Paul. He was standing there as a church hater, as a Christian hater, as one who couldn't wait to let's get this execution on the road and stone this guy to death so he'll shut up preaching about Jesus. I say that's a pretty hard heart. God can soften up the hardest heart. But, But we, got, we have to be careful. We can actually grieve the Holy Spirit and our hearts can become hardened. You know, it's, it's, it's a little bit like my wife, Vicki. She just wants to make out all the time. I mean, all the time. She's always wanting me to make out with her and stuff. And, and you know, I resist her for as long as I can, but, but eventually she wears me down, you know. I, I mean, I give in to her and I, and I minister to her needs because... That's just what a great husband I am. I recognize ridiculing laughter when I hear it. So I you know. Just, uh, okay, I know you don't believe me, but pretend you do. And pretend that she's always doing that and I always resist her. Hey, it won't be long before she doesn't approach me anymore. Right? If I resist her and push her away and say, no, not now, it won't be long before she kind of gives up. The old preachers used to say the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He won't push himself on you. If we resist long enough, our hearts can grow so hard that we won't recognize the prompting of the Spirit of God. People are living these spiritless lives. 
Because they're not aware of the Holy Spirit. Maybe they haven't been taught. Maybe they're only familiar with the name. Or because they've become so skilled at resisting Him. At rejecting Him. But folks, if we can get past that, if we can get to know the Spirit and stop rejecting Him, there are three different ways that the Holy Spirit can minister to us. I'm going to go through these real quickly. The first thing is this. The Holy Spirit comforts us. He comforts us. The Holy Spirit is sometimes called the comforter. In fact, in the King James Version of John 14, 16 that we read a moment ago, it says, or Jesus says, I will pray the Father and He shall give you another comforter that He may abide with you forever. This is the the comforting presence of God, the Holy Spirit, coming to us when we're struggling, coming to us when, when, when we're hurting. I've experienced the Holy Spirit's comforting presence. Have you? You know, we're hurting bad. Or we're in a bad circumstance. Or, or we're worried. Or we're in a struggle. And maybe we just, and we don't even know why, but we pick up that Bible and we start to read. Or maybe we're, we're in the car. We're driving somewhere. And I don't know about you, but when I'm in the car by myself, my thoughts, my mind just churns with all the things I've got to do and that I should have done and that I, I didn't need to do and, you know, mistakes I've made. And, 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 but a praise song, a worship song will come on the radio. Or maybe we're trying to pray. and We can't even find the words. I mean, we just feel empty. There's nothing coming out. Maybe we're just weeping before the Lord. And then all of a sudden, peace. Our circumstances don't change. Our problems are not all solved. They don't go away. But all of a sudden, we have a sense of being loved, cared for by God Himself. All of a sudden, we understand that we can make it. We can survive. We see the light at the end of the tunnel. That's the comforting presence of of the Holy Spirit. The Bible said, the Bible calls it peace that passes understanding. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience in your life when you're in the middle of something that is crushing and someone else says, I don't know how you're holding up. I don't know how it is that you're able to have peace in this moment. Folks, that's the peace that surpasses, it goes beyond our human ability to understand it. And God says, that's the peace that the Holy Spirit can bring us. An otherworldly peace in the midst of trial. That's God coming to us Himself through His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can comfort us. And the Holy Spirit counsels us. He's our counselor, our guide. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 16 and verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own, but will tell you what He has heard. He will tell you about the future. We don't know what to do. So we start praying. And we start asking the Holy Spirit to give us direction, give us wisdom, give us discernment. This week I told some folks that discernment is like the ugly stepsister of the spiritual gifts. That's the one nobody wants to practice. But folks, that comes directly from the Holy Spirit. That's the ability to decide between two options, to to make a decision one way or the other to evaluate something, to determine its, its truthfulness, its, its godliness, its rightness. 
You ever notice on the, on the news programs, a lot of times you'll see the, the anchors will wear an earpiece. You kind of see the light reflecting off of this one in Brian Williams' ear there. His is a little more well-hidden than some. You know why they wear those? It's to keep them in constant communication, constant contact with their producers. They're being fed information through that earpiece all the time that they're on the air. Even when they're off the air, they're being told how long this break's going to last and when they're going to go live again or how long until the next break. They're, they're, they're being told um, if they uh, need to adjust their clothing or which camera they need to look at. If they're interviewing someone, producers feeding them questions to ask the, the, the person that, that they're interviewing. Uh, if a, a, a late-breaking story or some more information comes in, it gets fed into their ear as they're doing their job. The little voice in their head leads them through the process. Folks, in a similar way, God wants to work in our lives through the constant counseling presence of the Holy Spirit. When we're aware of the Spirit's presence and we're hearing His voice, we can go through the day knowing that the Spirit is with us because we hear Him say things like, reach out to that person. Hey, give this, give something to that person and bless them. Don't do that. That's the wrong thing to do. Don't go down that path. You know if you go to that place, you're going to get involved in things you don't need to get involved in. Help this person. Pray for that person. It's a constant awareness, constant contact with the Spirit of God guiding us. That's what the Spirit-filled life is all about. It's not walking by, by just by what we can see around us and just by the input that we're getting from this world. It's, it's faith that the Holy Spirit is in us and that He's guiding us, that He is our counselor. He's giving us direction. I love the picture in Isaiah chapter 30 when God tells the prophet, if the people will listen to me, if they're willing to be led by God, and he says this in verse 21, your own ears will hear him. Right behind you a voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. The voice of the Spirit comforts us and counsels us. And finally, the Holy Spirit convicts us. John chapter 16, verse 8. When the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Conviction. Now, don't make the mistake of thinking of it like being convicted of a crime, right? Being found guilty of a crime. It's more like conviction in the sense of a belief, of a deeply held belief or a certainty about something. In fact, the same ancient word that gives us conviction also gives us the word convince. What it is is the work of the Holy Spirit to convince us that something we've said or done or something we're about to say or do is the wrong thing to do and it's a call for us to turn away from it, to not be involved in it. What we do sometimes, though, is we confuse conviction and condemnation. Well, condemnation comes from Satan. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. Condemnation is meant to tear us down, to point out what a failure we are or, or, or how badly we've messed up or what a wreck our past is. And it just beats us over the head with the fact that we're no good losers who are never going to make it, never going to measure up as Christians. You ever hear that voice? I do. But let me tell you something. 
It's just interesting to me that Jesus said that he came not to condemn the world, but to save it. And how many times have we looked at Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Satan, on the other hand, is known. One of his names is accuser of the brethren. He's our accuser. He's all of the time pointing out every way we've messed up and how we've destroyed any chance of being accepted or loved or known by God. Condemnation says, you're such a failure. Look what you did. There's no hope for you. But conviction, the conviction of the Holy Spirit says, why don't you turn away from that? That's not what God wants you to do. You you know that's wrong. And come to Jesus where you're going to find forgiveness and peace and freedom and acceptance. Folks, God is not waiting to beat us up. That's done. God poured out His wrath on Jesus. That's over. He's waiting, longing for us to turn to Him. I love Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Isn't that interesting? How, for how long in the church have we given people the impression that it was a stern warning that was supposed to turn us from our sin? It was the, the fear of punishment was supposed to turn us from our sin. The threat that, boy, God's just getting madder and madder, and one of these days, pow! That was supposed to turn us from our sin. But the Bible says His kindness is intended to turn us from our sin. Condemnation only shows us the problem. The conviction of the Holy Spirit shows us the answer. Condemnation shouts at us, Your past! Your sins! You loser. But the conviction of the Holy Spirit calls to us and says, the blood of Jesus has washed away your sins. God is no longer holding the sins of men against them. You are forgiven. Your sins and your past don't have to be a part of who you are anymore. Even here today, right now, There are some people being convicted by the Spirit of God. There may be something in someone's life that is not what it should be. Or you've gone down a path or you've made a choice that you just know is wrong. And all of a sudden there's this sense of, I need to make a change. I shouldn't be doing this. I don't need to go down that path. And I haven't even mentioned what it is. I'm not going to, but there's conviction. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is here. Because if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is, is here, in here. And He's convicting you. There are others who, who are being drawn to God right now. You, you, you don't know why. I mean, you, you may not even be a church person. may not even be a believer. 
but you feel yourself being drawn to God right now. Listen, that's the Holy Spirit's work. The Bible says there is none righteous. No, not one. You can't draw yourself to God. The Holy Spirit has to draw you. If you feel that tug, that pull to God in your life, in your heart right now in this instant, let me tell you, it's the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is here. And we have some choices. We can surrender to Him or we can fight Him off. But listen to me. Don't fight Him off too long. Because your heart can become hard. You can grow deaf to the the gentle voice. To the loving call of God. That draws us to Him. God loved us so much that He sent God the Son, Jesus, to live a sinless life, to die on the cross, to be buried and raised again so that we could know God, so that we could be empowered by Him through His Holy Spirit to live a life that would please and honor Him. That's the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what it does and what it brings. Bow your heads, please close your eyes.